also say a toe to so. You know what? A toe to so. A fucking a toe to so. Hello, 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 and welcome to this guestless bottleman. It is, but Riley and Dan, um, we are uh, two two loose dudes out in the town, the night at the Roxbury, just just trying to find our third so that we can uh, go have a good time. Uh, but Dan, that's right, just two normal guys uh, mm-hmm. without children doing a doing a normal guy thing, talking to each other once a week. It's good. It's normal. Right. We like to do it, and it's fine. Look, the only way to have friends to make new friends in your thirties is to uh, is to have someone where you get paid to call them once a week to talk about stuff. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about the I forgot about the pay angle. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is great. It's this is the best one of the best friendships I've ever had. Oh, it's look. Uh, it's it's and not only is it uh, emotionally satisfying, and do we have a great time when you were in London, but uh, also it's much more profitable than any of my other friendships. Yeah, me too. I mean, I I don't I don't get any cheddar from being friends with uh, Tim Kingsbury, for instance. Yeah. No, my um, <laughs> yeah, my friend, my friend Teddy needs to start. Uh, you know, he needs to start showing me where the money's coming from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, show me the money, Teddy. Come yeah. on. All right, uh, Teddy. You've, Where are you've the been... revenue streams in this uh, this social relationship? No, um, I, actually, that's like the worst possible example because uh, he did let me live in his flat for a couple years uh, for like just costs without ever. Uh, well, he was not living in the country, so in fact, that's a the probably the worst example I could have given. Tim is a really bad example for me, too, because we play in a band together. Uh, um, And also, he drove me all over the desert uh, last month. So, you know. Well, well, you know, we're going to find the friends that we're going to need to tell to step up. um, But we we might have to do it a little later because wouldn't you know it? Are you saying we got to do a friend audit? Yeah, (laughs) I think. Look. I, I, I need to hire KPMG to look through the my various friends' contributions. Look, like, because your 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 network is your net worth, right? And I think I could be getting a lot more money directly from these people. Um, but I need mm-hmm. to know, right? Like, number one, I got to do research on my friends to see if it's going to be more of like a Herbalife thing or like a crypto thing. Um, and yeah, 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 uh, yeah, or or even just like. You know, uh, I've, what I always thought would be really fun is to do one of those um, uh, uh, phony gambling advice things where, you know, it's the thing. It's the thing. It's it's like it's a can't fail scheme. It's it's basically as legitimate as any cryptocurrency. Uh, what you do is uh, you find like you get like, I don't know, a thousand people that, you know, watch football. And then you mail them, mm-hmm. you mail half of them a prediction that one team's going to win and half a prediction that the other team's going to win. And then when the team that wins, right, you, then you mail them again, again, half and half. And then after you've done that a couple mm-hmm. of times, you're like, look, you know, I've predicted every correct game. You're going to need to pay me if you want this uh, service to keep coming. Um, and then, you know, enough do. And then, you know, it's, it's a le- very legitimate way to make money. And then we're going to put it on a blockchain and say that it's a sports prediction ecosystem. That's pretty good. I mean, you can't really trust your friends to sort of pull themselves up by their bootstraps and come up with an idea to uh, financially remunerate you for being friends with them. So this this sounds like a great idea. This is good. Yeah. So um, to my friends, uh, check your look out for your mail uh, and forget I said anything. Um, in the meantime, you remember nothing. Yeah. Uh, if, or, you know what? If you remember something, uh, remember this. Because uh, I'd like to issue the uh, official Bottleman bye-bye to Jason Kenny of Alberta. Goodbye, Jason. So long, bozo. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Yeah. Very nasty premiere. He's <laughs> the yeah. nastiest premiere. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is like, it's it's just like, he was so good at being premiere, he, he just quit. You know, yeah. he couldn't achieve anything else. Yeah, and he'd uh, gone as he fl- he'd gone as far as he could go, and it definitely didn't have anything to do with like a looming uh, scandal or investigations or people poking around asking all sorts of nasty questions. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it's uh, they say, and, and and then Kenny wept for there were uh, no libs left to trigger uh, in Alberta. No, he he has <laughs> true. he has he has triggered and rolled coal all over the mall. Um, and I I mean I don't it, it truly is like the perfect example of one kind of Canadian right winger just exiting the stage the guy who kind of did it as much as you possibly can who leaned on every american like ginned up culture war issue who leaned on every mm-hmm. you know fucking I don't know, nonsense ethical oil thing who uh, was who just rode the kind of um who rode again sort of uh, uh, the resentment of the liberals to again just like not Particularly like, to, to 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 just be the God Emperor of Alberta, who is then again yeah. the official story goes basically brought down because he forgot that his entire thing was to say that he was powerless in the face of um of 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 an overwhelming federal government, uh, but other than that he mm-hmm. would do everything he could to try and not manage society and let it live out according to some kind of insane right wing fantasy, and then when he was faced with an actual crisis and kept having to choose between allowing society to reproduce itself or catering to an insane fantasy that again he he um he and his team. Uh, um, uh, they cultivate in their base because that's what the whole sort of you know, modern right wing movement is at this point. It is l- trying to live in a drawing, and then because he yes. you know was unable to make Alberta be the drawing that he said it was going to be, he fucking like got he he was absolutely he barely scrit kept held on by his fingernails to the to like the the leader party leadership of the United Conservative Party of mm-hmm. Alberta barely held on to 51 like something like that percent of the vote and then was like you know what um no i'm i'm leaving um and what yeah. was very funny a moment of schadenfreude but and besides sort of any any other questions of why you know when he says the premier warned that the conservative movement was and i quote I can't believe I'm going to... This is what he said. The conservative movement is in danger, would you believe, of being overrun by far-right lunatics. Which is how he came to power and the people around him came to power in the first place. They're just a different type of far-right lunatic. It's, it's, he, forgot it's, to, uh, you, he, he forgot to not believe his own lie that he's just a concerned, like, classical liberal. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He says, but it's very ironic to me that that, you know, Kenny... You know, Kenny is this weird, shitty Catholic who's like, yeah, definitely the archetypical, like, uh, campus conservative who, like, you know, his early career is going to Berkeley and yelling at uh, 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 abortion activists, you know, or like like pro-choice activists. That's his early career. And then he comes back to Alberta and there is uh, there is like a populist movement that takes over the conservative party. Um, and he comes into power under Harper and he, he was this like upstart, like people were calling the, the, him and the people around him lunatics back then, you know? And yeah, like you said, he forgot, he forgot his own line. And like, it's, it's that you, it's that you've, it's that you believe that you are, if, if you believe that you are, you are completely reasonable, that your, um, your, your enemies are ontologically evil, then you can't really understand when you're eaten by your own side because you yeah. didn't. And, and that's the thing though, is that is the, the, it's, it's that the, the, the goalposts have shifted and now another person who's going to be regarded as an upstart is going to take over and is going to govern according to these principles. And again, yes. and, and much like we talk about in sort of our, our other subjects, do we have a plan? Uh, does the do, does generally the, um, you know, call it the overall liberal um, monoculture or the, the, the that those in political institutions, do they have a plan for dealing with the fact that the, whoever replaces Kenny in Alberta is going to be someone who the far right lunatics who have quote taken over the asylum again? Why were there all those lunatics in the asylum, and they were just the lunatics <laughs> in the previous asylum? It's just generations yes. of people who are comparatively further towards the lunatic, and uh, yes. yeah, there's this is just going to be a, a much further right wing province because all that they can do is more. They can never. All they can do is more and faster and bigger, uh, in terms of this yeah. sort of lurch to the right. 
Well, that's that's how they've cultivated their base. I mean, we we even talked about this on the first, I think, the first one of the first ep- ever episodes of this podcast with with Aaron with uh, Bertovo, you know, about uh, about Wexit and the idea of Western alienation, and and that is now just so embedded in uh, the Canadian conservative project. It's, I mean, it's kind of in the rear view, but it's but it's underpinning everything, and and. Yeah, there's no there's no rolling this back. <laughs> there's beating it. There's only go there's beating it and there's only go, or there's just going forward, which is and uh I don't know. I don't know. I just don't, you know, I don't see the next generation of conservatives uh I don't know. Maybe this is a bad prediction, but I I don't see the generation of conservatives that Kenny is referring to as lunatics. And I'm assuming he's talking about the people who are sort of between the People's Party and the Conservative Party, you know, people like the the type of politics that we covered on, on the show when we when we talked with Liv about uh, Poli, uh Polar. I don't see those people being as as rep like reptilianly eff- uh, effective as uh, people like Kenny and Harper. You know, Kenny did a lot of damage while he was in charge. And it was focused damage. It wasn't like, I mean, some of it was just unfocused libertarian damage, but a lot of it was absolutely ideological focused uh, uh, evil. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when he was immigration minister, for instance, you know, or his uh, attempt to construct the Victims of Communism Memorial, which I guess, you know, we could we could add another brick for him. Yeah, that's right. He was a victim of his own communism when he like That's right. <laughs> when he uh, sort of acknowledged that basically covid was real and required a government response there you go yeah. victim of communism yeah yeah um and this is funny i i so i grabbed this quote from uh rick bell from the calgary sun um who used to be wouldn't you know it used to love uh used to love kenny uh said of jason kenny uh on as his as he was finished he never listened. Never. He was right. We were wrong until we were right, said Bell. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We. You, you tried to. You tried to extend. Like again, just base level, uh, almost non-existent, pretty insufficient COVID regulations, like a day longer than necessary. Fuck you, buddy. We want to go. Yeah. We want to go do a square dance in the oil fields and just spit in each other's mouths all day. And that's freedom, exactly. For whatever reason, that, exactly. that 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 idea of just of just getting to live in that fantasy world, kind of like we talked about with Matt, right? That's freedom, and we will continue mm-hmm. to throw out politicians who don't cater to those fantasies. And he was the I best at catering a- to those fantasies. That's what's so was, insane about this. Because he's because he's from this older school. I think I think his eyes are a little bigger than his stomach when it comes to like libertarian freedoms. Mm-hmm. He's like everybody. Everybody, do what you feel, and then and then he sees, and then he sees people spitting in each other's mouths, doing doing a ho, having a hoe down in the oil field, and he says, "You know what? That's I'm full up. That's enough. Yeah. That's enough for me." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You look. You uh, you, you, you can't. You cannot have an open air auction, uh, livestock au- au- auction in the West Edmonton Mall. Um, <laughs> you can't turn. Um, one third of downtown Calgary into like adult um, water slides, you know. Look, if you if you're going to put your uh, your big your big lazy boy chair in the back of your truck that is the height of two normal trucks from five years ago, then you at least need to tie it down. Yeah, yeah. We're, we are not replacing uh, every single Canadian flag in every legislative building uh, with a Confederate flag. That's you know? that's it, though. It's just like it's just candy for dinner. That's all it is. They just want they just want more and more candy <laughs> for dinner. And you know that but none of it means anything. None of it is meaningful, even to them. None of it will materially benefit them. No, because they don't really want all. the candy for dinner. They're just mad that someone might ask them to eat a vegetable. <laughs> One day. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. And I mean, again, it's not, there's nothing, this is, I think, nothing inherent in the people that believe this. It's it's just that if you live in, and again, we talk about media environments, right? If you live in that media environment and you sort of had nothing but kind of a life of asset and asset price inflation and sort of, you, and a sort of 
bloated energy sector or whatever, if you've lived that life, then yeah, of course you're going to be, your idea of freedom is going to be something that eventually Jason Kenny's not going to be able to give you. You're going to ask for a piece of candy that doesn't exist, or you're going to ask to have your candy for, for dinner out on the wing of a flying plane, and it's going to be impossible <laughs> to deliver. And then you're going to f- wait until you find the politician who will deliver you your candy for dinner as and when you want it. This is why Fubar Fubar Two, the movie, is one of the most accurate representations of uh, this mindset. You know, it, it it's everybody wants to go to the West Edmonton Mall and blow their paycheck on uh, I don't know, like a skidoo that is also a hot tub. <laughs> we should uh, we should watch. No one Fubar wants 2. anyone to tell them that they can't do that. <laughs> we should we should watch Fubar Two. Yes, we should. Um, you know what? Speaking of Jason Kenney, uh, by the way, uh, you know what? And congratulations to Jason Kenney on his new appointment as um, uh, co-chair of uh, regime change studies at the uh, Roman Chukovich School of uh, the, um, Oh, my uh, God, dude. Oh. Uh, that's my... Okay, that's my last thing on Kenny. I want to... I, I don't want to think about this, but I have to think about where does Kenny end up now? Is he going to accompany Stephen Harper on his yearly, maybe yearly trip to uh, Ashraf 3 in Albania to uh, give speeches in front of MEK? I mean, yes, almost certainly. Is he going to join the Roman Shukovic Institute for uh, Ideological Purity Studies? You know, yeah, who knows? That's the thing, though. I mean, Jason Kenny... He will show up somewhere. Well, but I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to this because the thing about him is he is a massive oaf um, and... I think he, wherever he ends up, is probably it's going to be pretty funny uh, because he's just yeah. going to be fucking up and being weird, and um, you know it's going it, to because it's, he so much damage on him, you know, beyond just his mm-hmm. you know, former devotees in the conservative base has been self inflicted. Um, oh, absolutely, it, he's a fucking Catholic though. He loves it. He loves this shit. <laughs> no, he is, um, and it's. It's funny because we're gonna we're gonna talk about this guy later in the episode, but I'm I'm thinking about uh, former Georgian President uh, Saakashvili, who you know not unlike Harper. I don't know. I'm just thinking all of these guys. You know they do they do all this damage to the society that they are supposed to govern, and they never go away. They're 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 always just there in the background, just doing the same shitty things, just quietly. But they love the spotlight, you know, and and it's weird. They just they'll never just retreat and retire and do whatever weird shit they do at home with their families. They've always they've always got to be tinkering. Well, you know, it's that you you if you believe hard enough that you just you cannot not be in public life, then you'll find a way to stick to it. You know. Yeah. No, it's you'll, true. You'll, this is why I believe that we need to. I mean, I think one way I can give back to the world. Uh, is to set up a sort of training program for disgraced politicians mm-hmm. who still crave public attention, you know, like Harper, you, Harper's face beaming as much as he can beam, you know, when he's at the MEK rallies and people are chanting and, you know, they need that shit. They need it. They're addicted to it. So if I set up this program whereby I teach them all how to play instruments and put them on the road, I might have to pay people to go to the shows and and cheer for them. We'll fi- we'll figure that out later. The deal is they get to be in a band, they get to play shows, they get uh, unlimited adulation from fans. They cannot be in politics. That's no like, no more public life. Dude, that is my basically my dream for every crackpot. And I feel like I I I post about this occasionally. I feel like no one ever. I, I, I tried. I try to never talk about Twitter and complain. The one, my one complaint about the interactions I get on Twitter is I think no one understands the brilliance of my plan. That like, um, like the like Christopher Rufo or like Ben Shapiro or whatever or or Jason Kenny. I want to see them. Yeah with a well-funded creative project that has huge amounts of leeway, but it has to be completely yes. apolitical. Yes. I think that would be yes. fascinating. Like, I want to see... Absolutely. We need, like, we need, like, a fucking NGO to fund this, you know, because because by doing this, I mean, if we got... God, if we got Saakashvili off the streets, 
I mean, yeah, but yeah, we're gonna, is, you're going to be saving money. This is like carbon capture, on, on, right? On balance, this is like carbon capture, right? <laughs> Where, okay, let's say this: is Jason Kenny is he's left politics, and he's like, well, I guess I'm going to go to the, uh, you know, the, um, the Roman Chukovich School of Bricklaying or whatever, uh, yeah. go be there, you know, yeah, professor yeah. emeritus in MEK studies. Um, how I think the as you say, a diversion program into the arts, but you mm-hmm. know what? You know how Netflix has dropped anti-racist baby, yeah. right? I want to get them all yeah. together. I want to get Jason Kenny as the new head writer for a re- for a resuscitated anti-racist baby, and he's going to write it now. <laughs> uh, I love it. Maybe, but no, that's a little too political. He just has to write a show about like a nice baby, uh, but I uh, know, but a baby, yeah, that just goes a normal around, baby, a normal baby, but like that acts kind of like an adult. Like how about this? He's gonna, you know, what it is Jason Kenny is going to write a Family Guy spinoff called Stewie. We've repurposed anti-racist baby into a Family Guy spinoff where Stewie uh, goes and like lives by himself and is living in, and he's making friends, you know, in the city. Uh, and that's going to be yeah, and nothing, Jason Kenny's the head writer, and it's just supposed he's just a, he has very broad creative leeway to like take Stewie in whatever direction he wants, but he has to have yeah. what I really want is I just I want because these guys have such interesting brains. I would love to see them have a fully thought through idea that isn't to that isn't just repeating politics talking points. Like I want to see them fully try to think through and conceive of something as a whole process. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they do try to apply things in a creative way, like like Kenny, you know, Kenny, this is a political project, but Kenny looking at the crucified again statue in um, in the park in the Czech park in uh, Toronto and then dreaming up this half baked and dumbass from the beginning idea of a victims of communism memorial, you get kind of a glimpse of what he would do. Mm hmm with something uh, creative and, and depoliticized, you know, like, I think, well, but that's, but then, but that's the thing, right? The, the victims of communism memorial has been so singularly weird that we've devoted several episodes to it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And speaking of that memorial, uh, we have to mention, yeah. uh, you know, uh, not the greatest victory, but a small victory. Roman Shukievich mm-hmm. is gone. Dedication removed. That's right. It was and, he was uh, just a little bit too exactly a fascist. Also, uh, he was a little bit too recognized and talked about it in a, in a CBC article about uh, the victims of communism. But like what you know, what what happened with Shukievich is that the normies found out who he was and what he did, and at that point, he had to be removed. <laughs> but yeah. But you know what? Uh, still, still on the uh, on the memorial, you've got you've still got the Vitejian Rand, mm-hmm. um, which is surprising to me. Uh, various UPA members and uh, and of course the Ante Pavlich family. Oh yeah, um, specifically his daughter. Like they removed one dedication to Pavlich, but they left a dedication to his daughter, which mm-hmm. is funny because I recently read a uh, I think it's from. But 10 years ago, an interview with her that the Spanish, uh, big Spanish newspaper did. She lived in uh, Madrid for the rest of her life for, for the, you know, the Pavlich and, and the family moved to Madrid. He's buried in Madrid. Um, and in the article, you know, that she goes through some various things. She, she basically tells the uh, interviewer in, in no uncertain terms that her father did nothing wrong. That the Ustache project was a noble one, that the the partisans were uh, evil dogs, mm-hmm. and uh, also mentions that the that the uh, Madrid municipal police should pay to uh, defend her father's graves from saboteurs. People love their their um, their monuments to their uh, Nazi ass family, huh? Well. They really Look, do. So, I mean, that's all they got, right? That's you know, because that project, like the, the the sort of the sort of physical manifestation of that project was uh, was destroyed. Well, at least you know they'll always have the roadway to freedom, uh, the uh, antechamber of liberty, uh, and then the uh, front hallway cupboard of land reform. Um, yeah, yeah, the mud the mud room of libertarianism. Um, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, the uh, the, the 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 back bedroom of uh, sensible capital regulations. Um, you know, so the look. root cellar of correct skull shapes. <laughs> so check this out. Um, in a surprise to nobody, what is increasingly becoming the Alberta of uh, the well, one of the America's many Albertas, I suppose, um, and, mm-hmm. and and being, um, I'd say also headed up by probably um, the most. Uh, uh, um, the most Jason Kenney style governor uh, and with its largest <laughs> city led uh, by perhaps the most um, the most Eric Adams style mayor <laughs> like Eric Adams not a Canadian mayor uh, the most uh, the, the, the most Rob Ford style mayor but he's addicted to getting swindled rather than crack um, uh, uh, yes. Florida is also establishing a uh, is get, getting a little Canadian culture by establishing uh, a uh, Victims of Communism Day on uh, November 7th, uh, you know, lest oh we forget a few days before, yeah. and is yeah. also going to fund Miami's Freedom Tower. Oh, my fucking God. Yeah. Wait, okay, hold on. So so they're make, they're basically making a uh, Victims of Communism Memorial and a day. Uh, yeah, they're not, ju- they're not just doing the memorial. They're also doing the day. Um, so they're uh, the f- one-upping us. I mean... Shame on the Ukrainian Canadian community for uh, lagging behind the uh, industrious uh, uh, gusanos of Florida. <laughs> um, so they basically the the, the free. Where are my- the stalwart peasants in sheepskin coats? You know, well, they're all where's, at where's Bitcoin. Where's that grit? They're all at Bitcoin yeah. Miami. Um, so this is this is the uh, uh, this is the thing, right? That that the, the Freedom Tower uh, has the. Uh, <laughs> Has the Castro took my sl- my family's slaves um, <laughs> exhibition because it's like the uh... <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's like the um... anyway he's it... all my sugar plantation gone <laughs> it's and so it's basically this is atta- he's attached the um, the money to restore the Freedom Tower in with the um, victims of communism day so but the big thing about this right is that. Uh... <laughs> Twenty-five million dollars is going to be, um, you know, it, it, it is going to be like we're rebuilding the um, this tower. But also, uh, the other big thing that they're doing uh, is they are going to require, right? They're going to require uh, all high school students in Florida when they're not, um, you know, being uh, gunned down by you know someone who went and you know bought a, a drive-through gun. Um, yeah, when they're not mm-hmm. like you know that sort of doing duck and cover drills, they're to receive at least forty-five minutes of instruction in their required U.S. government class on topics related to communist regimes, how the victims suffered at the hands of those regimes, uh, and that will be required starting in twenty twenty-three. And they're going to have to teach that all the way up until twenty twenty-seven when M- Miami sinks and the Freedom Tower is the only thing above water. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, f- at least forty-five minutes. Like uh, this is low effort. Like. If I was gonna, if I was going to indoctrinate people in anti-communism, I would have to spend a lot more than forty-five minutes, unless I was using some kind of MK Ultra procedure or like a ray, you know. Mm-hmm. Forty-five minutes—that's yeah. I mean, you're you're basically low effort. low effort. Yeah, you're you're sort of depending on them, like already agreeing with you. Um, yeah, basically, yeah. yes. <laughs> you're, what, you know what that is? That's just like some talk. That's a, that's talking points instruction. Um, yeah, although I'm, absolutely. I'm based on like how based on the the strange politics that have emerged in Florida in the last like four or five years, like not like, not, like emerged from nothing, but where, you know, like clear where it's or status is no longer really a swing state. You know, the the, the DeSantis slash Jason Kenney school of um, sort of just ginning up uh, new kinds of red scares or whatever. Um, I'm gonna be. It's mm-hmm. gonna be very interesting to see what those 45 minutes contain. Where at, at what point is it just gonna be like whatever you know, right wing bugbear uh, of the moment just gets discussed in the uh, Victims of Communism Day class as like, a, yeah. oh yes, I remember. Yeah, exactly. I remember when we had to wear a mask on like the only on the only train in the state. That that made me my my desire to breathe free and you know get my CPAP mask on properly. That yeah. makes me a victim of communism, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, it's their the the, the VOC um, Black Ribbon Foundation. They're still doing it. You know, 
they're 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 working hard or hardly working. Um, hey, you know what? When you when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Um, that's right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, uh, I uh, go ahead. I wonder when they're going to finish the uh, Canadian VFC Memorial because now that Kenny's out, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel. I feel like. I feel like they could forever be building it. I think they probably are going to forever be building it. It's a great like. It's a great thing to be able to hit people up to support. You know, if the- that's true, I guess it is an ongoing project too. Because as long as the government is forcing people to wear masks, and uh, I don't know, uh, not barbecue inside a Walmart, <laughs> then people will be victimized by communism. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's uh, that's the only way. That, that's the only thing there there is to it. Um, uh, right. So we so we talk about the Hawks. Yeah. 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 Let's do it. Boy, is this continuing. Um, <laughs> this is extremely ongoing. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the, I mean, God, there's, there's, there's so, so much, but, um, I, I think right now it seems like, I think the, the best place to start here, I suppose, is that the, um, the New York Times recently released an, an, an article, an op-ed, uh, that again, uh, strangely was not calling for, uh, war, uh, which is unusual for them. Yes. Um, Basically saying, hey, uh, it turns out that just, um, you know, uh, arming every Ukrainian to the teeth and encouraging them to, like, have extremely maximalist, i.e. take back Crimea war goals. uh, It turns out that was really, really hard to do. And no one seemed to make the kind of plan that would be required for if victory wasn't immediate and easy. Well, and also I think it became increasingly clear, like, uh, like to reference back to, uh, Seth Harp and his reporting on Ukraine. Um, no one is really sure who's in charge of the military in Ukraine. And it seems like that a lot of the operations are maybe not necessarily, uh, let's say coordinated holistically, you know, Mm-hmm. And dumping, yeah, like like you were saying, dumping small arms and javelins into this conflict uh, has not had the desired effect. And also the, I, I think one thing this uh, this article has sort of as background radiation is that the the initial push, uh, the initial push that you know Freeland was kind of at the forefront of that we need to we will sanction this country. And then after sanctions, the economy will collapse because Russia is a gas station or whatever, you know, the economy will collapse and democracy will spontaneously emerge. That didn't happen. So yeah, well, I mean, it's weird. Italy, this happened every Italy other became. Time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Italy became like the biggest European importer of Russian oil. And, uh, you know, it's just like. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like the plan really worked like they thought it would. Mm. And like you said, Riley, it's, you know, there's precedent for this. I was, we were talking uh, earlier this week about, I have been in uh, Myanmar, a very heavily sanctioned country over the last 30 years where the sanctions have kind of waxed and waned. You know, there have there, there been, I've been there where uh, it's been almost completely sealed off. And then I went back during, uh, during Aung San Suu Kyi's tenure, uh, where where there was kind of an opening and there were the sanctions were lifted, and none of it did anything to remove the junta from power. Mm-hmm. All it did was just punish and immiserate people like my friends there. Yeah. So, <laughs> absolutely, we ha- we haven't sort of set any conditions for when these might be lifted. The world seems to now mm-hmm. be going into a, a food crisis, and Russia's like, maybe if you lift some of the sanctions, we'll let some food pass. And like, look. I also I I feel like it's often also important to say like it's it, you it's you can avoid falling into the trap of being a Russian nationalist because you hate the West. It's like no, you could yeah, you can hate all these people, but just I think Absolutely. the the there is a sense where it's like well, there's a lot of there is a there is a a war that is where we are encouraging the incredible obstinacy of one side because we've just never really considered the possibility that. With all, if we can just send them all of the equipment that they could possibly use, um, and you know, like we say, fight to the last, you know, extremely heavily armed Ukrainian, um, that they they will inevitably win. And I think this is actually worth reading a little bit from this article. 
As they say, yeah. it is tempting to see Ukraine's stunning successes against Russia's aggression as a sign that with sufficient uh, Western help, Ukraine is close to pushing Russia back to its positions before, e- before the invasion. Decisive military victory for Ukraine over Russia, in which Ukraine regains all territory Russia has seized since 2014, is not a realistic goal. Um, the United States and NATO are already deeply involved in unrealistic expectations. This is, I think, the key sentence. Could draw them ever mm-hmm. deeper into a costly, drawn-out war. Russia, however battered yeah. and inept, is still capable of inflicting untold destruction on Ukraine and is still a nuclear superpower with an aggrieved, volatile despot that has shown little inclination towards a negotiated settlement. And finally... Recent bellicose statements from Washington, such as Biden's assertion that Putin cannot remain in power, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's comment that Russia must be weakened, and the pledge that um, the United States would support Ukraine until victory is won, may be rousing proclamations of support, but they do not bring negotiations any closer. And now, you know, you've got the the Ukrainians and, and Zelensky appear to have settled on the position of, well, we're getting Crimea back. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, you know, Zelensky did say, Two days ago, uh, he he was so. There's been kind of a pivot in um, in the kind of uh, messaging. I, I'm going to call it messaging from the Ukrainian side, and then I will definitely call it propaganda from the Western side, which is amplifying and sort of simplifying that messaging after the lend lease program was uh, was approved. But Zelensky is now openly talking about like Ukrainian losses, and specifically said reclaiming Crimea would cause hundreds of thousands of casualties. Mm -hmm. So he's not saying they're not going to do it or try to do it, but he is saying what the cost would be. And I think you kind of have to take him at face value on this one. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and and I mean, this article to me is really, really interesting in that it is written. The byline is the New York times editorial board, Mm -hmm. and it's not written for Russians to read. It's not directed at the Russians. Mm-hmm. It's not directed at the Ukrainians. Uh, not even the ones who are kind of enmeshed with um, America's America's uh, support of Ukraine on the ground. It's directed at the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. They, it is the New York Times making an appeal to the Biden administration to pull back and uh, or at least to face the reality that maybe diplomacy is the way out of this before September hits and uh you know we we start dealing with food shortages because i think the west and 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 the subjects of the west the people that live in the imperial core they're used to fluctuating energy prices and for a short period of time i think they can deal with uh whatever they're calling you know like sticker shock at the pump Mm -hmm. or whatever but what a what a society really can't deal with historically speaking is sticker shock in the grocery store like, you can't have food shoot up as much as gas shot up. Yeah. And I mean, that. Th- and I, I think people realize that, that it's coming, you know? And, and this is ultimately right. It's the, it's the question of, you know, where, when we decided to, uh, to undertake this process, the process that we undertook, when we decided to do the things that we did to say the sanctions that we did and so on, um, did we believe really that it would drag on for this long? And that these would just sort of have to be in place forever. I don't think anyone really thought of that. I don't think anyone thought that far ahead, to be honest. Uh, because if they did, then it seems like we wouldn't be backing ourselves into these incredible quagmires. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, but here we are, you know, and it's again, if you want to know kind of where that maximalism is coming from, it's the the calls are very much coming from inside the house from the, from the US and but mostly from Canada and the UK. I mean if you want to know why Russia Russian TV keeps threatening to nuke you know Britain where importantly I live um it's because yes. our politicians because they've realized that it's like very emotionally satisfying and makes them kind of feel like Margaret Thatcher keep on threatening to do regime change. <laughs> <laughs> like, like like Liz Truss. Yeah, but and, and, and sorry, go ahead. There's, I'm sorry. Like, there's no, there's no amount of sanctions that is going to dislodge Putin from government. Mm. And that's the th- if it was if it was going to happen, that movement, that movement would have been building now. I mean, maybe over time, maybe, but that's gonna cause un, that's gonna cause maximum pain to. Obviously, Russians and the and, and Russia, but it's also going to cause pain 
to imperial subjects here back in the West, you know, and and some of some of the fixes are like, you know, there's been talk about, okay, we're going to we're going to ship grain through Belarus. Belarus is going to allow grain shipments and rail to go through. But then where does that grain go? Like, where where are the ports? Well, you could go to Lithuania. You could go take the grain to Lithuania and have it go out from the port. But uh oh, Lithuanian ports aren't equipped to deal with grain and shipping grain. The closest port that ship that can ship grain that's uh, fitted out for that is fucking St. Petersburg. So kind of backs to square one. Like, you know, and I'm sure they'd eventually fig- figure it out, but it would be an, a massive increase in prices. So, yeah. well, it's the, yeah, it, it's, it's just it's, like it's well, something we were talking about was, um, you know, when when two fundamentally starship troopers societies go to war, you know, that the question is which which one is more starship troopers than the other? You know? Yeah, we we got a case of two uh two Verhoeven esque societies just smashing into each other over and over again. And so. I mean, I don't know. I'll go out on a limb and I think probably um especially that that, that Russia is probably a little further down the Ver- the Verhoeven curve than than the sort of the West. But I mean, you know, if one of the one of the core, like sort of, um, one of the, one of the core bits of, of of the sort of the the Verhoeven canon is, you know, the portrayal of the the the, the sort of the um the worship of these, you know, that's, that's relatively you know illusory ideas, these things that sort of are so common to fascism. Um, but these this these ideas, for example, of the you know the manifest um, sort of strength of yourself and weakness of your enemy, who is at the same as as scary, but also you know a, a, a sub subhuman and um and very easily be a, a horrible threat that's very easily beatable um mm-hmm. you know it seems as though i just i i can't understand if this was i mean if 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 this was done with a clear in a clear-eyed sense or if this was done just genuinely believing yeah this was going to be easy um and you know it 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 just has manifestly not been and you know i mean again on, on the other side you know again like the uh, taking fucking parade uniforms or whatever to your um, unsupported, um, you know, helicopter attack on on the airport. That's a deeply Starship Troopers thing to do. Um, yeah, I, I mean, another deeply Starship Troopers thing to do is to uh, have a, a Reuters crew produce a, a little sort of human interest piece on child soldiers. Oh God, yeah. Just when yeah, these, I grew these up, two are... when I grew up, I want to defend my country, you know. And it's, yeah. it, it, I, I, I'm sure everyone watching or listening has seen this, but yeah, Reuters uh, produced a piece. Uh, I'm not sure what the purpose of it is. It, if not just to make me want to fucking kill myself but <laughs> you, but like they, they did the thing too, where they forgot that that's like yeah. not supposed to, <laughs> but that's bad <laughs> yeah people keep doing that with this war where they they're talking about you know you'll have an article about uh uh people who are training uh for insurgency and guerrilla warfare uh, for a long, grinding, bloody conflict, house to house, and and we're supposed to forget that we've been told that that is bad for the last, you know, what three decades? Like, so in in the same way, we're expected to forget that child soldiers are bad when we watch the Reuters produced child uh, Ukrainian child soldiers uh, little clip, which is basically twelve and ten year olds. Uh, playing with toy guns, saying, when I grow up, uh, I'm going to be an army man. I'm going to defend my country. Uh, One kid at one point says, I had fun digging trenches. And my main takeaway from that was like, these kids, when the oldest one of these kids is of age to join the Ukrainian army, that, that will be six years from now. And shouldn't the line be, I hope that the war is over six years from now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, are they saying this is just going to fucking are they telling us something we don't know? You know, are they hinting that the war is just going to grind on forever? Because that's depressing, too. That's as depressing as child soldiers. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, so again, you know, unless unless you find it all very inspiring for whatever reason. Um, but I, I, yeah. I think the another angle to this as well. And I, again, I want to focus this essentially on this being like combination of Saakashvili and USAID and stuff. Is that, again another of yeah. the like you know old um, the old uh, 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 Chomiak dream you might say 
uh, is, is yeah the old iron dream of the of the Chomiak Freeland family is 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 finally um, is finally bursting through the, through the ground in Ukraine. Yeah. They did it because you know, like just like you never waste it. If you're if you are a neoliberalizing organization, um, like the uh, <laughs> the Office of Simple Solutions and Results, which is basically uh, Saakashvili plus you know, USAID. Um, then you're not going to waste a crisis. Uh, so, you know, just, just as, you know, as soon as uh, Hurricane Katrina hit, the first response was, oh, well, you know, I guess that means we have to make all these charter schools now and there's no one who really can or will ask us why we're doing this. Um, there mm-hmm. has been uh, now a major move to uh, de-Sovietize uh, Ukrainian labor law, which basically mm-hmm. means uh, that if you work for a firm with up to 250 employees, then you are uh, no longer covered by the existing uh, labor laws. Instead, you're going to have to negotiate your contract individually with your employer. So like 70% is, of Ukraine's workforce is going to be like basically stripped of, of current like, like um, of collective bargaining rights. Absolutely. And, and by because of the de-Sovietized... War. Because of the war. Yes, yeah. because, because of the war. But, but the funny thing is, is that would you believe that uh, the Office of Simple Solutions and Results existed prior to the war, Riley? Would you believe that? Um, no. That this is not a, this is not necessarily a new office with with uh, ideas that uh, that are that are a direct result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This off this office existed prior to the war, and any uh, anyone listening to this who's a Russian or Ukrainian speaker, I encourage you to go check out their website because um, I was kind of surprised to find that every single bill that they've written or tabled, every idea that they've had, every white paper, it you can literally look at all of them. They're all on there, <laughs> and it's everything from uh, labor laws governing publishing houses. Uh, to labor laws governing how taxis work in Ukraine and how taxi workers get paid and what their collective bargaining rights are. But um but yeah, so so basically uh the way this is affecting uh Ukrainian workers is that I mean just the I I'm gonna take the example of the the postal union, New Post. So the the union has about eleven thousand members and as of April, management revoked 30 points of their collective bargaining agreement. And uh, most of those points relate to the coordination of working conditions with trade unions, but also social guarantees such as giving uh, workers uniforms, uh, the availability of a first aid kit at the workplace, working hours, and others. So 1,500 of, of these workers, these unionized workers, have been put on temporary suspension, which means no work or what I've been seeing is is work for no pay, which is kind of insane considering that that the, this union, their main job right now is to distribute humanitarian aid from the West. Mm-hmm. The the fact again that this is that the, there is there is this the crisis and you know fucking USA doesn't waste a good crisis to uh, you know completely uh, obliterate the working conditions of people who are you know as you say. Distributing all of the U.S. aid that's coming through uh, is utterly yeah. unsurprising to me. Well, and speaking of U.S. aid, I just got to read this part because uh, who boy. So, so formerly the draft law that this this wide ranging labor reform bill uh, was filed on behalf of Halnia uh, Trechikova, who's the head of the Parliamentary Committee on Social Policy, and and a number of other deputies from the from the ruling party, which is servant of the people, right? You know, Zelensky's party. The bill was developed by a Ukrainian NGO, the Office of Simple Solutions and Results, which was set up by former church and, church and president Mikhail Saakashvili, together with Ukrainian employers associations, aka bosses, and a USAID program. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, Saakashvili, again, very interesting to me, deposed as um, Georgian president because he famously tried to big dick the Russians and lost. Uh, Stripped of Georgian citizenship, moved to Ukraine, became a fixture in Ukrainian uh, politics, then was kicked out of the country, came back, was jailed, and is now working with USAID. Yeah, of course. To, To just utterly dissolve uh to 
No, I would say to uh, to to climb the bell tower and take his big hand and take that that minute hand of the clock and just roll it back 150 years. Yeah, you know, perfect. And you know, I, with with all of this, like, like like with with all of this in mind, right? You know, um, that this is. I mean, it, it, it's always that the you know the the the, the military crisis and the neoliberalizing impulse always sort of went together, right? The sort of the yes. lurch of the country to the right and the lurch and the sort of imposition of all these free markets and the military crisis all kind of started happening at the same time, you know? Um, so it's because we, we're just going to get the... Going to get the... In addition to now, again, this sort of settling into a grinding war of attrition that's going to... That now has completely... Un, or neither side has attainable war aims... Um, we're at the same time, we're going to make sure that, you know, the, the post, post workers don't get paid. And again, like it, this, it's one of the reasons we talk, one of the, it's important to remember one of the reasons that we at a Canadian politics podcast are talking about this is because it's a fucking, even though you, this one is directly USAID related, this is a Canadian project. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, it is, it's the thing that we're doing. It's a thing we've always, we, we've been trying to do for a while. Um, it's the realization of our deputy prime minister's project, certainly. Um, and it's, if you want to know it's who the, the realization yeah. of her entire family going back to her grandfather, I mean, as we've said on the show, her mother's focus on rewriting, or I guess writing, because it was a new country, the newly independent Ukraine's constitution, the focus was on property rights. How do you literally de-Sovietize a country. How do you melt down uh, a socialist country? Mm-hmm. It was the project of her uncle, who, how do you, how do you de-collectivize agriculture? How do you privatize it? And, I mean, what? And it's her continued project, you know? How do you, uh, how do you institute liberal democracy? How do you agitate? Yeah, well, uh, you smash <laughs> the that. unions, apparently. Yeah, smashing the unions. That's it. So look, I want to talk about one more thing for just a few minutes, right? One of the responses to this um, uh, uh, New York Times piece, right, where again, basically the claim was, we don't seem to have an, 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 any kind of plan to finish this. No one seems to be willing to negotiate. Everyone's war aims are impossible. Um, all we seem to be able to do uh, politically easily is just fuel it. Um, so maybe there should be some new thinking. Uh, of course, liberal pundits, especially British ones, especially Iraq war boosting ones, have been all aflutter, uh, essentially. Uh, and I just want to read a little bit from, um, for, and again, uh, the, 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 what, the, what the New York Times recommends is, uh, or what, in the, what Kissinger, Henry Kissinger has recommended at the same time, is basically, you're probably going to have to give up Crimea and certain bits of the Donbass, but then the war will be over, which again, is not winnable. Um, <laughs> in the way that we've defined victory. This again, this we've chosen to define victory in this hugely impossible maximalist sense. I, I mean, I, 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 victory is a, it's an interesting thing to think about because I think in the I think in the victory means different things for the Zelensky government. I think their idea of victory is that Russia retreats and that they are allowed to have a country, a sovereign country again. I think for nationalists, it would be to take back the territory that they feel like they've lost to Russia since 2014. And for the Americans, it seems like the, the just the uh, the deposing Vladimir Putin. <laughs> so those aims aren't necessarily uh, uh, they don't they can't necessarily exist together. <laughs> so I, I just want to I want to read one one paragraph from this fucking Iraq war boosting um, piece of shit journalist. Uh, who says in again this um, article sort of excoriating um, you know the New York Times for saying there probably should be a different end to this as well as you know Henry Kissinger saying something similar said there are a series of expressions that leach out of the expert world and come to infect the pundit world mission creep and exit strategy were two from the 1990s and and, and you an Iraq <laughs> war booster are 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 lambasting pundits for talking about an exit strategy to um, criticize a war that had no fucking exit strategy and that was a fucking disaster. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Yeah, everyone, I, I was going to have a fun time trumpeting, you know, d- trumpeting the, the dogs to war and I have feeling very important and historical and then people kept on talking about exit strategies and I thought that was going to ruin my fun. Anyway, I didn't look at what happened, you know, some years later. I assume it was fine. 
Um, by the way, yeah, I'm gonna. Not important. I can't wait to go take my vacation in northern Syria. Um, it says <laughs> today we have off ramping. Vladimir Putin having invaded his unthreatening neighbor. Uh, causing thousands of civilian mil- and military deaths and billions of pounds of damage must now be offered something to get him to go away. Um, he should not be given, he should be given territorial Danegeld so he can exit the total war highway. Uh, number one, yes, all British columnists do write like this. It sucks. Uh, but two, that's, yes. Wait, th- th- yes, yeah. that is what has to no, happen. That's, that's a good thing. That's good. We need off ramps because, uh, because the end of this is just is just a cliff and a nuclear fireball. Like um, he says, so if we adopt uh, Kissingerian big power cynicism, we'll talk the talk of freedom and territorial sovereignty, and do the deed of rewarding the nuclear armed aggressor with a bit of someone else's land. You wrote nu- you wrote nuclear armed. You wrote nuclear <laughs> armed in that paragraph. Because guess what? There are no easy solutions to to nuclear to nuclear power conflict. There aren't. And so sometimes you need to make a compromise, which is not palatable. And from the very beginning, there have been people saying, you know, this is not going to be a war you can just win against the bad guy. It's not. It's impossible. And yet, because it's the right thing to do, we're going to have to do the impossible. But if it's impossible, it's not right by definition. (laughs) How old is this guy? Just out of oh, curiosity. He's, uh, he's, he's late Gen X. <laughs> yeah. These guys want to be released from their flesh prisons. That's that's what this is all about. Yeah. It's like, uh, and, and saying, you know, why, why should Ukrainians believe he would stop there or places such as fin- Finland, Estonia, and Moldova? Um, it wasn't it wasn't Western red lines that create disasters, but the failure to act when they're crossed. But again, what would happen if we'd, act, quote unquote, acted in, in Syria? You don't fucking know, but you're saying that we should have done what the more risky and dangerous thing because you reckon it would have been better. Um, yeah, yeah. It's the it is the it is the this the startling arrogance that no the thing we're doing is right. We couldn't possibly lose, and this is not an infinitely more complex situation than we could possibly have dreamed of entering into. Not at all. It's simple. The answers are simple, and what's more, the great thing is. I have great news for everybody. Everything that we have to do in order to end the conflict, we're going to feel morally fantastic about. Oh, yeah. 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 Man, we solved the problem of guys like this earlier in the episode. All that we need to do with this guy is, uh, you know, pay him to design a uh, PC strategy game where he can <laughs> he can roll the clock back, you know, and do all the stuff that he wanted to do. Um, and, and the only deal is uh, he doesn't get to write um in any publication ever again that's that would be the trade yeah he's gonna be he's gonna be a staff writer on stewie yes exactly they all they all go to work at stewie yeah perfect i love it um anyway i i think it's uh we've got a we got a sitcom to to convene so i think it's uh yeah time we hit the old dusty trail that's right i i do want to end this episode uh very quickly with uh you know, one anecdote about uh, war, like war drum beater Michael McFall, uh, who was recently at a monk debate, and um, he was asked by uh, by Stephen Walt, who is a Harvard International Affairs professor. Uh, he was asked the question in 2021. We kept reiterating that Ukraine was going to join NATO. We kept saying that over and over again. Walt noted. To this, the U.S. ambassador McFall replied. Did you believe that? And then he asserted, our U.S. diplomats were lying when offering Ukraine NATO membership to Ukraine. Uh, and added, yes, yes, that's the real world. Walt asked him, so our diplomats are lying? And McFall said, yes, that's the real world. Yeah. It's one of the smart... It's so good that he was ambassador to Russia. Just a guy whose hawkishness is matched only by his apparent love of suffering the effects of smoke inhalation every morning before getting out and <laughs> going and doing his job. Fucking great. Absolutely. So combined with that and the British article in the Times that you read, I, I just want to I want to cap all of this off with a quote from our friend uh, and fellow podcaster Julian Field from QAnon Anonymous, uh, which is... History is coming for every motherfucker who pours gas on this fire. Yep. Yeah, that's right. But you know, yep. in the meantime, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's us and our heaped scorn. 
Um, <laughs> so that's right. It's, Another heaping helping of scorn. Mm, delicious. Uh, so look, mm-hmm. I think it's about time for us to to hit the old dusty trail. To thank you for listening and to remind you, there is a Patreon. You can get a second episode. Uh, it's going to come next week. It's going to be seven Canadian dollars a month. Uh, very exciting. We are going to be watching the next episode of RoboCop. That's right. Yes. We found our new corner gas, uh, and it is RoboCop. <laughs> and it is a pro-police misinterpretation of a Paul Verhoeven classic. <laughs> Wonderful. Excellent stuff. So uh, we'll see you then, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.